Thanks for listening to Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. If you've ever considered pursuing an entrepreneurial venture of any kind, you've probably weighed the pros and cons of taking that leap. With all of the unknowns and potential risks, many of us end up not even taking the first step. My guest today is a Navy veteran turned successful business owner and coach. Joe Evangelisti serves as the CEO of three companies, has an impressive real estate portfolio, and more than 5,000 hours of coaching experience. Joe recently joined the podcast to share how he's built a successful business that fits his lifestyle and how others can do the same. Whether you want to own your own business, be more successful in a current job, or learn how you can become more efficient in your day-to-day life, this episode is for you. During our conversation, Joe talks about the importance of having a mentor, making the mindset shift to become fearless, as well as providing insight into his entrepreneurial journey and current business ventures. Joe is the perfect mix of relatable and motivational, and I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. If you have any questions about this episode or ideas for a future topic, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I'm definitely excited to learn more about you and your story. I've done a little bit of research knowing that we were going to be talking today, but I'm curious just to hear it straight from you. So before we jump into everything that we're going to talk about, can you set the stage by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure, sure. I'm, um, I'm a, uh, obviously I'm a Navy veteran, but it started long before that. I've been in construction my whole life and uh, I kind of grew up as the son of a drywall contractor turned general contractor. So um, always been on job sites, uh, not afraid to, to go out there and, and uh, get sweaty and get dirty. And, um, you know, I, I loved growing up in construction. I loved uh, seeing things get built. I love seeing things get designed and then come to fruition. So um, right after high school, uh, you know, I had this, this draw to kind of serve my country. I wanted to go and, uh, and join the military of some form. And um, I ended up being lucky enough to run into a senior chief reservist who was a, a U.S. Navy CB reservist. And um, he talked to me about the U.S. Navy CBs, which is, you know, for a lot of folks that don't know, it's the construction battalions of, of the Navy. And, uh, you know, we go everywhere by air and we, we go by, we, we stay on land primarily. I've never been on a boat or a ship. And, um, you know, I got to do construction for uh, six years in the military, which um, I'm super grateful for. And it kind of springboarded me into a, a, a career and becoming an entrepreneur. That's awesome. So when you were in the Navy, were you ever thinking about staying in long term or did you always know that you had desires to pursue something outside of the military? Yeah, it's a great question. I was actually in just under six years. And when I was um, making the decision to either reenlist or do something different, um, I was lucky enough that I had a security clearance. I worked at Camp David for a couple of years and I had this, uh, this great security clearance, which opened up some doors for me. And so I had a job offer to go uh, somewhere and make a lot more money than I was making in the military. And, uh, you know, I was, it was a tough decision for me because I thought, you know, if I reenlist for four more years, I thought if I do 10, I'm going to do 20, right. I'm going to retire. If I'm going to stay in for, for 10, there's no reason to do half and then get out. So um, I really came to a crossroads. I had to decide, am I going to go out and, uh, you know, pursue a career in, in, uh, in construction, which was government contract construction or, you know, stay in and, and, uh, and serve a full 20. And uh, it was a tough call for me, but I'm glad, I'm glad I made the decision I did. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your immediate post-military career path, because you mentioned construction sure. for government contracting, but also being an entrepreneur. So I know that's yep. eventually what you ended up starting a bunch of your own businesses, but what did that look like immediately following your separation from the Navy? 
Yeah, like I said, um, I got a great job right out of the Navy. I, I started working for a company called Kellogg, Brown and & Root. Um, and uh, we had a delivery order contract at Bowling Air Force Base in uh, Washington, D.C. So um, I immediately jumped into that. I started becoming a uh, what they call a project leader, which is basically like a construction project manager. And um, I did that for almost two years. I probably, you know, probably would still be down there, except uh, I met my wife, uh, who was from New Jersey also, where I'm, where I'm originally from. And uh, I had this joke that uh, her umbilical cord was never cut because she can't be without her mom from about like a, about a week, <laughs> you know, or so. So, so um, you know, she moved down to D.C. and we lived in like the most incredible place in D.C. It's called Clarendon. It's actually Northern Virginia, right outside of uh, Washington D.C. And um, you know, we had this amazing apartment. We had this amazing location. We had restaurants all over. We had bars and nightclubs and all these things that we could enjoy. And uh, yet every single weekend, we would get in the car and drive back home Friday afternoon, uh, spend three, four hours on the road, go back to New Jersey, visit the visit my, my now mother-in-law and uh, her horses and everything else. And then we get back in the car on Sunday night and come home. And I thought to myself, uh, I can only do this for so long. I can't live in a beautiful city like this and not enjoy it. So we ended up going back to New Jersey. And uh, that's kind of where it kicked off my uh, my entrepreneurial career. Awesome. So, yeah. So, okay. So talk me through that. Once you go back to New Jersey, I know that you were involved in real estate too. So is that kind of your first yeah. entrepreneurial venture or how'd that look after that? Yeah. Real estate uh, has probably become my, my first, uh, uh, you know, um, through construction, we're still doing development deals, but um, I got first got into real estate. I, I, I was, like I say, I was lucky enough to get into the real estate market in 2007 um, because I learned a lot of lessons along the way. You know, I, I said, you know, I, to myself, I, I have a construction background. I can do anything to a house. I know how to, you know, build it all from scratch. So, you know, how hard could it be to flip houses? And, um, you know, we, we went into it thinking that, um, you know, we're going to make, we're going to make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the year one. And, uh, you know, of course, I uh, dumped my savings into it. I, I bought a couple houses and we started flipping them. And pretty quickly, the market started to soften. Um, and of course, in 2008, it just completely collapsed. And so, um, you know, I say I, I say we were lucky because I think if I got in two or three years before that and experienced the, you know, the crazy rush of, of the market going up, then I might have made some bad decisions. But luckily, we kind of got caught where we had to decide um, how to pivot. We had, we had to figure out how to uh, course correct um, on our mission to flip houses. And, you know, it, it, uh, it forced us to stabilize the asset, put, put long-term mortgages in place and put tenants in place basically to, uh, to keep um, from, you know, essentially filing bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a great learning lesson for me because uh, from that point I pivoted, I, you know, I, I got the tenants in place. I started uh, actually selling real estate. I, I created a brokerage um, out of that. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it grew from there. Was there ever a moment when, you know, you mentioned the market kind of tanking in 2008, was there ever a moment that you thought, well, I've only been in this for about a year, I could completely change routes and do something else? Or did you know that you wanted to stick it out? No, sure. Yeah, no, I think, um, I loved real estate at that point. I really, I still love real estate to this day, obviously, but um, you know, I knew that there was just had to be a shift. Like I had to just come up with a, a way to overcome the obstacle. And um, you know, essentially that's what we did. We, we, like I said, we started um, now, you know, fast forward three or four years. I'm, I'm now a landlord. We have multiple property. This is, you know, back in 2010, but um, you know, at that point I, I was a landlord. I was a real estate broker. I was a, a, a rehabber. We actually were, buying and fixing flipping houses back then um, after the market kind of course corrected, it softened a little bit and we were able to start buying houses at the right price. Um, you know, so inevitably for the, the, the following 
10, 12 years, we actually flipped about a thousand houses um, all in the South Jersey real estate market. We buy, fix and flip, put them back on the market and resell them. So, you know, we, um, we took that bump, you know, we, we got over that obstacle, we figured it out. And then from that point, it just taught me to, uh, to be a problem solver and start to accelerate from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm curious and not to put you on the spot too much, like it's a job interview or anything, but because you <laughs> do have this diverse background with sure. construction, real estate, I know you're an author, a coach, all these different things. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself now? Like, what would you describe to someone that you do now? Do you still kind of focus and find your, I guess, entrepreneurial um, identity in real estate, or is it something else? Um. Yeah, I mean, number one, I'm a real estate developer. Right now, we're actually building self-storage facilities all over the country. And, you know, we've kind of taken what we learned in the single family market and forayed into bigger commercial construction, which, you know, really is just more scalable and, uh, you know, quite frankly, a little bit easier to manage than trying to flip 100 houses at the same time. So, um, you know, we were able to take a lot of those things and pivot. Um, But now, you know, I really, I I consider myself more of the visionary of our companies. You know, I have... um, four different companies right now that, that I really don't, um, you know, I, I create the story, I create the vision, I create the traction, I, I, I help recruit and, um, you know, I keep everybody um, excited and motivated and inspired to move forward. But that's really my primary, you know, business now is, is uh, building great teams and allowing them to go out there and be successful. Did you ever see yourself when you joined the Navy and, you know, you have this focus on construction because of your upbringing. And I think you said your dad owned a drywall business. So, did yeah. you ever see yourself reaching this level and becoming the visionary versus potentially going on to, you know, start your own drywall company or something similar to that kind of what your dad did? That's a great question. Um, so to answer that, I'd have to backtrack a little bit. So my dad was the first entrepreneur in our family. My, my family are Italian, Italian immigrants who came over here in the 1920s. And, uh, you know, for the first generation of them being here, they were all uh, nine to five, you know, employees, they had, they had, you know, good jobs, but, you know, they were just taught that, you know, you go to work, you, you make a good income, you save it, and uh, you, you live like that. And my dad was the first person in our, in our uh, family tree to really break out and become a, you know, quote unquote, entrepreneur, right, have his own business and decide to run it himself. So he kind of gave me that inspiration and that vision that, that I could do it one day, um, and, you know, did I ever think that I would be sitting where I went, where I am now? Uh, more recently, yes, I've started to really manifest, you know, kind of where I've been. But, you know, five, six, seven years ago, no, I was, uh, it was completely backwards. I, I was, I was running two or three different companies, but I was really, I really had created myself job, you know, three, two or three different jobs instead of being the owner of a company. And, you know, frankly, back in 2000, I don't know, uh, 14, 15, 16, um, you know, I was in a, I was in a tough place, actually. I was, I found myself chasing constantly. I wasn't taking care of my health. You know, I had two little girls. I had a, a, a newer wife. I had a, you know, a house and mortgage, the whole thing. And, you know, even though I was making money, I was just, I just constantly would, you know, I figured if I put in more hours, you know, if I just, if I just kept doing something else or staying busy that I would reach my goals and, you know, back then I, I, I almost had a, you know, uh, a panic attack, stress induced panic attack of just uh, trying to keep up and, and, and stay on the, on the mouse wheel. Um, and so I made quite a few changes back then to really get myself refocused and figure out how to um, get to the position that I'm at today. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you said that stuck out to me that I think would be great if you could elaborate on is you said that you started to manifest recently. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I like that concept. I think it's something that um, we all have probably heard of, but maybe don't know how to put it into practice in our own lives. So what did that look like for you? And how do you manifest these things that have happened in your business? Yeah, no, I love it. It's a great question. I really, I actually, what I did was I, I broke it down into what I call the five roads to victory, Megan. It's, it's basically, you know, creating the outcome that we seek. And back then I didn't know the things that I know today, right? I, I, I started hiring coaches and hiring mentors to really kind of, you know, walk me through the success level that they've been through, um, you know, five, six years ago. And it, it really created massive impact. Um, and, and the number one, it always starts with mindset. Right. I think the biggest challenge that a lot of us have is, you know, we think we're not good enough. We think we're not smart enough. We think we're not capable or we tell ourselves these, um, you know, these rationalizations of why we shouldn't do something. Right. And um, that word rational, uh, rationalize, you know, I'd like to break it down. We tell ourselves rational lies. Right. We, we kind of convince ourselves, you know, that that we're not capable or, you know, we shouldn't take that next step or we shouldn't do things that are uncomfortable. So. Um, the number one thing is really getting your mindset right. And, and when I work with my, my current clients, you know, I focus on what are their beliefs? What are their values? What drives them? What are their standards, right? Like what is their, you know, r- routines and rituals that are keeping them on track to be successful? So, you know, like I said, the number one thing is, is, is the mindset, right? Having the right mindset to go out there and do it and, and believe in yourself that you're capable. I love that. So you mentioned that you had coaches and mentors of your own. Do you think that those were very integral to the success of who you are today as a business leader? 10,000%. Absolutely. Um, You know, like I said, I started hiring people six, seven years ago. And, you know, at this point in my career, I mean, I invest well over six figures a year just in coaches and and masterminds and groups and um, people to hold me accountable in different levels. So, um, you know, I'm not only a believer, I'm like, uh, what, what's that, uh, what's that old, uh, hair club for men thing? I'm not just a believer. I'm the president. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a walking, talking, um, you know, uh, success story because of my coaches and mentors. So that, you know, with mentors, I think, or at least maybe this is to me, I would maybe think of that as being like a free resource or as a coach. Yeah. Like you talked about, you invest in that. So for someone who's mm-hmm. listening and they think like, wow, I, I could really benefit from having someone like, someone like that to keep me on track, but I just can't afford it. What would you say to that person in terms of how they could invest in that? Because I'm sure like you'll say the return on investment is something that you can't even you know, put a value to. So can you talk a little absolutely. bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, there's, there's, there's two different resources that you have at your disposal and, and I don't care what level you're at, but especially if you're just getting out of the military, number one is you have money, you have some sort of money, whatever that looks like, and you might not have a lot of money. Um, if you don't have the money to personally pay for a coach, then you have time. Time is your other resource, right? So, you know, one of the best ways that I see people getting um, great mentorship and getting in great circles and great communities is really finding the person that you want to become and emulate and ask them how they, that you can, you know, volunteer, how can, how you can help them, how you can create value for them um, in exchange for knowledge. You know, so one great way to, to get, you know, quote unquote, free coaching is to just offer your time. And uh, a lot of people are afraid to do that, unfortunately, but you know, when they step out of their comfort zone and then do something, something like that, you find you get in the right environment uh, is, is nine tenths of the battle. Mm -hmm. I think that's really great advice. 
What are some other ways that you think that people can um, set themselves up to be either a good mentee or someone who's going to be um, successful when being coached? Are there things that they should keep in mind and take inventory of themselves um, mm -hmm. so that they can set themselves up to be successful from whatever type of relationship they have? Absolutely. Yeah. You have to have what I call a plan of attack, right? You have to know where it is you want to go. What is the outcome that you seek? And so, you know, I, I have this, uh, this joke, Megan, that, you know, more people will plan their trip to Mexico, right? If they're going away for a week, they know what plane they're going to be on. They know what seat they're going to sit in. They know how they're going to get transportation to and from the hotel, right? They know if they're going to have an ocean view or a pool view, they know where the, they know where the bar is. They know what they're having for dinner. They know the reservations, right? So they plan this, this, this trip to Mexico, like it's like, it's their life. But when you ask them, what's your plan for life, right? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? Right. It's all, it's always a gray area. So the first thing that I like to start with when, when you, when you go out and, you know, you, especially if you're going to approach a mentor, it would be, it'd be, what's your plan? What's your outcome? What, what is it that you seek to do and be crystal clear about that so that you understand how you can reverse engineer it and actually create a strategy out of it. I really like that analogy about the trip to Mexico, because I think that's something that's going to resonate with a lot of people. I know it definitely yeah. does with me. I think that, um, and actually, maybe this is something you could speak to a little bit more, maybe like with something like that, like a trip, or if you have these small steps of where you want to be, it's a little bit easier to plan for that next step versus like the big picture overall. So do you find that that's something that sometimes keeps people from making these plans is that they look out into the future. It's way too big of a goal. There's nothing tangible that they're necessarily looking forward to. And so it becomes so overwhelming that they don't know which next step to take, which makes them not take the step at all. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, the, the, the way that we take a step forward is just the same way that you walk up a flight of steps, right? Imagine you had a flight of steps in front of you and it was dark and you couldn't see the top of the flight, right? How do you get to the top of the steps? Well, you, you take the first step, right? And then you take the second, the third and fourth. And then all of a sudden, the end of the staircase starts to become more apparent to you. It starts to become, you know, something you can visualize. So really the only way that you can get to the end goal, the outcome that you seek is you have to take the first step. And the first step is literally 99% of the battle. Once you get on the staircase, there's no reason to turn around, right? You're already there. So you might as well just start, start stepping forward. And I think that, you know, just getting people to take that first step uh, is what we call execution, execution on your strategy. Um, is really the, 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 that's the most paramount step to the, to the whole staircase. I can see why you've been so successful in your career, especially as a coach and a mentor, because we've only been talking for almost 20 minutes now and I'm already so inspired by you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I appreciate that, but I mean, this is the reality. It's, 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 it's being battle worn. It's not, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Like I don't like to teach theory. I like to teach things that I, that I do every day. Right. And so, um, I think that's why it comes off as, uh, as so, um, you know, uh, uh, it feels, it feels like it, it, it's legitimate because it is right. Mm -hmm. And it's because of, it's from our experience. No, I couldn't agree with that more. I think listening to you talk, it sounds very genuine and you probably based on the line of work that you're in now and, you know, into the coaching, you probably see a lot of people that, um, are in the space too, but maybe don't have, I don't want to say the credentials. Everyone obviously has their own credentials and backgrounds that get them to where they are. But I can just tell that you are very genuine when you speak about your experience. I appreciate that. Thank you. So you have built your own business and you mentioned 
you know, how stressful it was prior to getting on the path that you are on now, where you felt like you were on a hamster wheel. And so that kind of leads me to my next question about building a business that fits their lifestyle. That's something that I saw in your bio before we talked. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. What are some ways that people can figure out how to build a business that best best suits their lifestyle and is going to be the most beneficial for them? Yeah, I think that um, we've, we've, we've covered a few of them so far, right? So you have to have the right mindset. You have to have a plan of attack. You have to know exactly where you're going and what your strategy is going to be. Um, one of the most important things uh, next to that is what I call controlling the clock, right? So, so Megan, how do the best sports teams, you know, win the games that they win, right? How does Tom Brady, you know, win all these Super Bowls? How does he stand out amongst the crowd? Well, he knows how to control the clock, right? If if Brady's down by by 21 points in the third quarter. He knows exactly how many minutes are left on the clock. He knows exactly how to control it. He knows if I, if I throw the ball, I'm going to burn, I'm going to burn less time. If I run the ball, I'm going to burn more time. Right? So when we have um, this clock to control and remember time is your greatest asset. It's not money. Um, you, you, you make money by, by trading time. And so we all have what we have, what we call the rule of 168. And, and Megan, that means me and you and everyone else, Elon Musk and Oprah Winfrey and every whoever you look up to, whoever you want to emulate, all have exactly 168 hours each week, right? And we have to eat, sleep, pay bills, right? Do all the, the mundane things, clean the house, do your chores, whatever they may look like. But more importantly, Megan, is we have to figure out when we're going to do the needle moving activities or what I call high gain or high income activities, how are we going to fit these things in that are actually going to get us closer to our outcome? And the challenge that I see in far too many entrepreneurs and, 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 and business startups and even really, really successful businesses and people trying to get to the next level is we don't commit to the real needle movers in our life, right? And so, um, you know, we call this compressing decades into days. If we start to actually do what I call the gold activities, right, the things that are really going to help you get to the outcome you seek instead of the task-based activities. Um, you know, far too many people spend their whole life on a to-do list. And unfortunately, a to-do list generally doesn't move the needle for you because to-do lists are meant to keep us quote unquote busy, right? You know, we feel like we're busy and we feel like we're accomplishing something, but really we're just creating work for ourselves. And, um, you know, I have this, this saying that a lot of entrepreneurs that, that like, pride themselves on putting out fires, right? And we all know these people. They're like, man, I was so busy today. I got so many things done. It was so incredible. And I say they're secret arsonists, Megan, right? Like they're behind the building and they're lighting the fire so they can run out front, put it out, and then be proud of themselves for putting it out. But why does it matter if you put out fires, if you don't actually produce, if you don't get closer to the outcome that you seek, Whatever that is, whether that's to become a better mother or become a better, better uh, brother or a better father or, you know, a better leader, right? Whatever outcome it is that you seek, you have to be focused on the outcome, not the to-do list, not the tasks in front of you, right? And so that's, that's controlling the clock in a nutshell. I think that is such great advice for, like you said, anything in your life. When you have a busy day at work ahead of you, if you're focusing on every last thing versus the outcome and prioritizing things that actually matter, you're, it just doesn't even matter what aspect of your life that is just going to be valuable advice across all of it. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you chip away at that to-do list, right? And what happens is most people have 20, 30 things on their to-do list, and maybe you knock out 20 of them in one day and you feel fulfilled because you chipped away at it. But the reality of it is 
the big time deals that are on that list, the things that are really going to help you reach an outcome, they're the ones that keep getting pushed, right? That's the difficult conversation you have to have or the difficult education you have to have, or you have to be present and do a certain thing. And that thing, which is probably the biggest income producer for you, keeps getting pushed to the next day, to the next day. And then we refill the list with more crap, but then we don't do the major thing. So a lot of us, anyone can look down at your to-do list and you can say to yourself, man, this has been on my list for three weeks. Well, guess what? That's the thing that needs to be done. It should have been done three weeks ago. Would you say that you kind of came up with this as like an epiphany that you had through your own business? Or was this something that a coach or a mentor taught you? It's really, it's a combination. You know, I think sometimes when we get taught something by somebody who is at a level that we want to achieve, it's a matter of how we hear it and how we perceive it and when we perceive it, right? Because this knowledge is, it's out there. Like I, I joke about, you know, Tony Robbins, for example, everything he's ever taught ever is on YouTube for free, right? So why is it that people pay $100,000 to go to an island with Tony for three days? right? You can go get it all for free on YouTube, right? But when you hear it and you experience it at the right time, at the right place, when you're invested in it, all of a sudden, it's like you're listening to uh, audio of it is that that information is everywhere. We just have to, we have to find ourselves in the place where we're invested to listen to it. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So another thing on your bio that stood out to me was making the mindset shift to become fearless. So I want to know what that means to you and how others can follow in your footsteps and do that as well. Yeah. So that really comes from a concept, which we call transference, which I teach that is basically the combination of having clarity to your goals and having confidence in your goals. You ever had that feeling, Megan, where like you do a certain thing and you're just like in your zone of genius, like you're gonna knock it out of the park. Like mm -hmm. I have a feeling you probably feel that way about podcasting, right? Cause you're really good at it, I can tell. So when you get on, you own that stage, you own that moment, you're in, you know, you're in, you're in transference. And so really what you're doing is you're creating a place where you understand the outcome you seek and you're confident you're confident as hell going into it, right? You own it like it's yours. Mm -hmm. And so fear is really most of the time, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of the limiting belief. It's, the, it's that, um, that voice in your head that's telling you to be cautious. But the reality of it is if you really you know, take a step back and look at it from, from you know, 30 feet away, that voice is really you, right? Who else is talking to you? No one else is talking to you as much as you do. Right. So really controlling that voice that's telling you what you're capable of and making sure that we feed it with good information so that it starts to feed us with a good voice versus that that scarcity mindset or fear voice, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So how would you recommend people feeding that with good information? Would you recommend that through affirmations, journaling? Is there anything that's worked for you specifically? Yeah, I love all of those things. Meditation is excellent. Um, but, the, but the real, the real piece of it is really just learning how to control that voice and learning how to get deep into, um, not letting that voice control your focus. So what we talk, what I say a lot is where my focus goes, my energy flows, right? So if I focus on the lack, like the lack of money, the lack of time, the lack of ability, the lack of any of those things, then all of a sudden that inner voice is going to start re responding to the lack. It's going to start repeating the lack, right? I don't have enough money. And your, your inner voice is going to say, 
well, we should, you know, we, we, we have to chase another paycheck or get to the next one, right? Where the opposite is, if we focus on the abundance, we focus on the ability, we focus on gratitude, we focus on, um, you know, what our capabilities really are, and then we start to believe that, well, then, you know, Henry Ford said, what I believe I can achieve, right? When, when I start to really start to focus on my belief and my ability, well, my confidence level goes up, my clarity goes up, and I start to create that transference. Mm -hmm. And then past the believing, I'm sure that you've seen this in your own journey and then through others that you've worked with is that once you do take that first step, which I'm sure most of the time is mm -hmm. the scariest step to take and you start to see the success, that voice gets a little bit smaller and you start to realize that, you know, you believe in yourself because you've actually seen the success as well. So you can Correct. tell yourself things based on the success that you've seen. 100%. So the, the, the fifth road to victory that we, we haven't covered yet is really the execution and the course correction, right? So, so execution is taking the first step, taking action. But where I see a lot of people fumble and stumble, and I really believe they say, you know, I think they say 60% of small businesses fail in the first three years, right? I think what's missing in that regard is that they're afraid to course correct, right? So remember I said in the beginning, I started out uh, flipping houses and that's, that's what I wanted to be as a, as a real estate developer or flipper. And then I got hit with the market, right? Well, I could just cry in my soup. I could just give up. I could walk away and say, this isn't meant for me. I'm going to file bankruptcy or I'm going to course correct and I'm going to change it. Okay. I didn't want to be a landlord, but I can do that. I can make it work. I didn't really want to be a realtor, but I can do that, make it work. Right. And so finding a way to course correct, to go around the obstacle over, under, around, whatever you have to do, but not, not allowing obstacles to stop you is I think what makes most entrepreneurs most successful. Well, and another thing is when we go back to that voice in your head, that statistic you gave about the small businesses that fail, I think probably a lot of times when someone does fail in their venture or when they are faced with an obstacle, they can tell themselves, oh, well, that's okay. Cause you know, majority of small businesses fail. So it's not surprising that this one did. And it makes it easier for you to digest and just move on to the next thing where if you just would have stuck with it. And like you said, course, correct. Then you actually could have still been successful. A, hundred, a, a, a thousand percent. I mean, look, I think that, that what happens a lot of times, I like to use Conor McGregor as a good example. I don't know if you're, you're a UFC fan or you follow him as a fighter, but you know, he's the most prolific UFC fighter that's happened ever. Right. Mm -hmm. And the reality of it is, if you look at it, this guy has been knocked out. He's been choked out. He's been punched in the face 10,000 times. What makes him so special is that he continues to get up. He continues to take the biggest challenges and he's not afraid of failure. He's not afraid of losing a match. Right? He'll come back and be the champion next month or, or six months from now. He'll do it again. And so it's not any different in business and life. Right, I get punched in the face every single day. Not, not physically, mm -hmm. right? but you know, every day. Like you, you, you come up with a problem and you come up with a way to solve it. Or you're faced with adversity and you figure out how to go around that obstacle. And that becomes a muscle when you train it properly. Right, You start to actually seek... Um, you know, bigger, bigger people to fight and bigger challenges in life because you start to get used to uh, and accustomed to solving the problems that, that, that come as part of that. Do you think that you've always been a problem solver in your life? Or is that something that you um, kind of acquired in the military or in your career path afterwards? That's a great question. Um, uh, let me think about this. That, how, yeah, yes, yes, and no, right? I think I become a better problem solver over the course of time. I think the military definitely. I mean, look, any one of us who's gone through active duty, you've gone through boot camp. I mean, you've gone through things that you know most people 
wouldn't even fathom wanting to go for right and mm -hmm. and somehow we seek it right we're like put me in the put me in the in the in the tough job put me in the tough position put me in the tough place um because i'm going to find a way to get over that and so yes the military definitely um you know laid that foundation that groundwork for me and then i think business um, you know, in business, I, like I, like I said to you before, Megan, every day I get hit with a bigger challenge, a bigger obstacle. And if I reflect back five years ago, uh, if I knew what the kind of issues and problems and quote unquote challenges I'm dealing with today, I would have thought to myself, there's no way I could ever handle that. Mm -hmm. right? There's, there's no way I could ever go over, you know, uh, over, uh, um, uh, go past that obstacle or create the opportunity out of it. But that's kind of going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, is that when you have the history of success, you keep getting taken to new levels where, yes, if you would have looked at it, even back to the staircase in the dark analogy you gave at the beginning of this, if you would have looked at it when you were at the bottom of the stairs, you would have thought there's no way I can get there. But as you go a few stairs up and you see it, it does it becomes less and less scary. And then looking at it in hindsight, so five years from now, you'll be facing even bigger problems and these ones will seem small. Yes, yeah, but you're you're right on point. And um, you know, we, we talk about a lot. Uh, you know, if you look back six months ago, right? Like, like, like people who are really having success at a high level, they're really manifesting their dreams. They're really creationary uh, people. Uh, a lot of times, those people can't. If you look back at yourself six months ago, you wouldn't recognize the person you are, right? It's the it's the folks that 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 look back ten years and they're like, man, I haven't gone anywhere in ten years. Right? This last decade has been same hamster wheel, right? And nothing has changed. Nothing's going to change, right? It's, it's the people that can, that can reinvent themselves consistently and stay on top of their game are the ones that are having the most success because they're not afraid to become somebody else. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the mindset shift to become fearless, and you're talking about, you know, there are people that will look back over a decade and think that nothing's really changed for them. So to me, that seems much scarier, a million times scarier than <laughs> yes. that to do something that you're afraid of. It absolutely should. It absolutely should. I mean, look, I mean, not to get, you know, too, too high, high up in, uh, in uh, spirituality, but like, you're only here once, like, mm -hmm. you know, all of us are going to die. You don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. You don't know if you're going like, to go 50 more years. You don't know if technology is going to change and, and we live forever. Right. But eventually, right. you know, all of us have to die. So you know, looking back and saying, you know, uh, I regret not taking that action or taking that risk or taking that opportunity, even in my biggest, biggest failures, I still look back and I say to myself, that was an opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, that that taught me something It helped me get to this level that I'm at today. So I'm grateful for it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you shared so much great information. We're not done yet. But because of the <laughs> fact that you've shared so much information with us that I just think is valuable to everyone, regardless of your career path, where you are in life. I think I saw on your website that you have two different podcasts. So is mm -hmm. that the case that you have two? And then what are the topics that you cover on both of those podcasts? Yeah, so I have the Legacy Blueprint podcast, uh, which is um, you know, it's essentially a lot of what we're talking about right now. It's, it's, it's interviewing other um, entrepreneurs at all different levels and really talking about, you know, what was your, what was your favorite failure? What was your aha moment? What was the change that occurred that, that, that maybe projected you to this place? Um, and really just trying to figure out, because I, I want people to understand that 
you know, um, I think in the world of social media and, and, and everybody only posting their best, their wins and their best, uh, you know, pictures. And, you know, it's, it, it becomes a little bit shallow, a little bit fake because, you know, people think like, that's, that's what I have to emulate. Right. And the reality of it is that again, you're, you're whoever it is you look up to, right. Mark, Mark Cuban has the same days that we do, right. Oprah Winfrey, same days that we do. They're fighting um, obstacles every day to get to where their level of success is. And so um, that's part of the legacy blueprint podcast is how, how do we get to that level and, and how to ultimately create a legacy for, for those that come after us. Mm-hmm. And then you have another one too. Yeah. And then wholescaling is really a real estate podcast, right? I run a successful uh, real estate wholesale team, uh, which with your listeners don't know what that is. It's essentially, um, you know, like taking really good real estate deals uh, and, and finding ways to sell them to other investors and make a, make a spread in between, right? Um, wholesale as an industry around, around the globe is literally the biggest um, industry there is, right? Like the, like the shirt that you're wearing, if it has a, a logo on the front, that thing was wholesaled to the company to put the logo on it, right? So uh, your produce that you buy is wholesaled between one and the other. So, you know, essentially whole scaling is really the opportunity to help people create um, cash flow and, and, uh, and cash so that they can invest in other businesses and expand. Awesome. Who are some of the notable guests that you've had? And maybe not even that we all might know of, but I guess just that stand out to you. So people that you learn the most from that you would want our listeners to go listen to those particular episodes. Oh my God, you really got me quizzing here. All right. So <laughs> um, I think some of my favorite uh, are, are really some of the people that I've interviewed that are close to me that are in mastermind groups that I'm a part of. I can think off the top of my head, uh, Mark Evans DM is one of my, one of my mentors. Um, uh, um, Trevor McGregor is another coach of mine who I recently interviewed. That was an outstanding podcast. Um, uh, just a lot, of, a lot of great real estate investors that I, that I'm friends with. Um, but I mean, there, there's there's not an episode there that's not some sort of value because if I if I have a, a beat interview, we don't even publish it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about you know obviously podcasts, there's great resources out there for people, regardless of what business venture you want to go into. If you have the desire to pursue your own business venture, what are some of the resources that you would recommend that people go out and check out, whether it's books, blogs, more podcasts, anything that's helped you in the past, um, anything that you could share with us that you, that you found to be helpful? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 I say it all the time that, that, uh, leaders are readers, right. You have to constantly be educating yourself. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's audible.com. It's, 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 uh, just listening to books constantly. It's listening to podcasts like this. Um, but more importantly, Megan, I think it, and this is the piece that a lot of people miss is like, we're all people like we're all sitting here, you know, recording stuff to add value. We're doing it for free. We're doing it to help people learn and grow. And so what I would recommend is reach out, you know, make contact. Like people can email you and I'm sure you email them back, right? Mm-hmm. People can say, Hey, great work. I appreciate it. And build a relationship there. Um, and a lot of people just listen, um, you know, uh, arbitrarily and don't engage, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to touch base with someone that you've listened to and, and ask their advice and, you know, see what happens. Some people are going to be jerks, but some people are going to be helpful, you know, so um, engage. There's no reason not to, we're all humans. Yes. That's actually a very good point because of course, like I said, there are so many resources out there. And so if you're learning, but not doing, it's still, mm. it's just not going to take you to the next step. Yeah. No one has ever, never, no one has ever retired off of analysis paralysis, right? You have <laughs> to go out there, um, take risks and, and, and be in alignment with what it is that you want to achieve. 
Mm -hmm. So back to you, because you gave the analogy about a Mexico trip earlier. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you have big plans for your future that you probably have (laughs) outlined and you're manifesting and maybe know what's next for you. So if there's some things that you have in the works that you can't talk about, or, um, you know, you're keeping under wraps for now, that's totally fine, but just big picture what's next for for you. Do you have anything new and exciting that's coming up or anything that you want to promote? Yeah. I mean, I'm an, I'm an open book, so I have no problems talking about these things. I, I, we, we recently, like I said, started doing self-storage development and, uh, you know, our goal is to make that a billion dollar corporation. I'm, I'm hyper confident that we can, we can control a billion dollars in assets in the next five to 10 years. Um, that's one of my big goals. Uh, my other real, uh, impact kind of passion, uh, is, is coaching. I love coaching other business leaders. I love coaching, you know, we, I have, I have doctors, chiropractors, I have insurance brokers, I have financial planners, I have real estate investors. Like I love getting inside the mind of high performing peak performing entrepreneurs and helping them tweak things and really collapse time and do it faster than they ever thought possible. Awesome. Well, Joe, this has just been great. I hope everybody listening to this has some great key takeaways because I know I definitely do. And of course, go check out your podcast because I know they'll get a lot of more information from that too. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with before we end this? I think that was a fantastic call, Megan. I think that was a, it was a really good interview. Um, you know, the, like I said, anyone can reach out to me. I'm on different social media platforms. If anyone's interested in actual uh, peak performance coaching, they can go to elevatewithjoe.com and uh, we'll set up a free discovery call and I'll spend some time talking to you about your life and business and what your goals are. And, you know, ultimately, if there's a way that would, uh, we can work together. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.